Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, that if, you should be, that if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Morning, church. Morning. And happy Mother's Day. Thank you. You're welcome. It's Mother's Day. I hope you're happy. I'm going to double check one thing real, real quick. All right, that might be better. Is that better? Yes. yes. Some of y'all who are banking on a nap are not pleased now. <laughs> All right, uh, so I, I, I don't usually do a Mother's Day sermon, but it is on my mind, and, and so hopefully you'll indulge me for the next couple minutes. As you probably know, I am a dad. Some of y'all are giving me the slow nod of yes. And, and, and dads think differently than moms. You know, uh, this was made clear to me when I, uh, when I was given the responsibility of packing lunch for Sam. Have you ever had to do this? Yeah. yeah. So when, when it's time to pack lunch for school, I'm going to make sure that the kid has uh, enough calories to last him, right, to the end of school. I'm going to make sure there's some protein in there because, you know, muscles, right? And, and, and that's, that's, you know, it's going to be edible. It'll be in date. And if I hit those benchmarks, that's good, you know? That's what the kid needs. Basically, I'm, I'm filling the lunchbox with rations for a soldier, you know? But moms, they, they look at it differently. And I know not all moms are the same, and that's fine. But as a tendency, I think, I think moms tend to look at it differently. When they pack the lunch, you know, maybe they put a little extra treat in there. Maybe they make sure that there's, I don't know, fruit. Um, maybe they cut the crust off the bread, put a little note, yeah, a little note for the kiddo. It's nice, you know, it's It's nice. I did not put a note for the kid. He can't eat the note, and I don't want to encourage him to, right? But when I look at the mom lunch, I look at it, and you know what I think? I think, why? Why? What are you doing? You're knocking yourself out. 
This was not the assignment, right? The assignment was calories and macronutrients. The other stuff is a lot of work that is completely outside of feeding the kid. Nobody told mom she had to do the extra stuff. Nobody said she had to go the extra mile. And a lot of the time, you know, when mom goes the extra mile, it goes unthanked. Sometimes it even goes unnoticed. But a lot of moms will do it anyways. Why? Now, look, I know there's some dads who do this stuff too. Maybe they cut the crust. Maybe they do the note. Fine. I'm talking in generalities here. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying that moms are better than dads. Because the dads are going to show their love and support to the kids in other ways, right? And having a diversity between how mom does it and how dad does it, you know what that means? It means that the family is getting loved in a bunch of different ways. It's a wider expression of love. And, and it's good. You know, it's beautiful. But I do want to look at this lunchbox principle for a moment, okay? Because I think there's something underneath it that, that's worth thinking about. When I was thinking about packing the lunch for a kid, I want to serve up the minimum viable product, right? Give him what he needs, nothing else. But you know, there's a lot more to life than bare minimums. Love is more than just bare minimums. As we're wrapping up this series called Living for Eternity, uh, Peter makes a move in his writing of this epistle, a move that many of us are a little bit uncomfortable with. He encourages you to get excited. Looking around the room, I can see it doesn't come naturally for all of us. <laughs> but listen to what he says. He says that we should be zealous for goodness. Zeal, zeal. Um, other than the avid Scrabble players in the room, I don't know that many of us think about zeal on a regular basis. It's probably a word, uh, shout it out. When's the last time you used zeal in a sentence? Okay. Maybe you're rusty on what it means then. Here's what zeal is. Zeal is great enthusiasm or great excitement in pursuit of something. So to frame this in a really practical way, if you're zealous, you're going to ask questions like, when can I get started? You're going to ask questions like, what can I do? You're looking for possibility. I have a buddy, I'm not going to name him, but if he happens to listen to the sermon, he's going to know who he is. I have a buddy who is zealous for the NFL. Here's how I know. A couple weeks ago, he went over to a friend's house to watch the draft. <laughs> Let me restate that. It is not football season. They aren't having football practice or scrimmage. There's no game. There's no, nobody's throwing a pass. Nobody's running. It's a bunch of people sitting at tables calling dibs on who might get to play for them. And my friend got together with other friends and made an event 
A casual football fan might check the scores after the game's over. They might watch the highlights. Somebody with a little bit more, you know, heart for the game might, be, might make sure that they get to watch the game in its entirety. My friend is zealous for the NFL. He watched people sitting at tables. You go ahead, buddy. You know, a question that we're used to answering in the faith, a question that we're used to answering is something like this. What must I do to be saved? I have a feeling a lot of y'all in the room feel equipped to answer that question. You've been posed that question a lot in your life. It's part of our cultural heritage, right? And your impulse to answer it, it's probably going to be something like this. Um, believe in Jesus and be baptized. That'd be a good answer. You might even go farther, right? You might even say, uh, well, Jesus has done it all already. He's offering you the gift of salvation today. If you're asking what I need to do to be saved, you're kind of looking at it the wrong way. Many of us, because of the strong emphasis we place on that answer, don't think about the follow-on questions that we should be asking. What must I do to be saved? You got that. But why should we stop there? Why should we stop at what must I do? A lot of people stop there, and that's a shame, because life in Christ is meant to be more than bare minimums. What must I do to pack this lunch? a thousand calories and some protein, you know? That's looking at it wrong. Suppose we flipped it around, okay? What if we went from, what must I do to be saved? What if we, what if we went from that to something more like this? Well, since I'm saved, what can I do? Since I'm saved... How can my life be different? Since I'm saved, how can that difference in my life make a difference in other people's lives? I don't want to be a bare minimum Christian who thinks about how do I get to escape hellfire? Like, no, 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 no. Let's not stop at bare minimums. Let's be zealous for good. Let's get excited about good. Let's say, let's, let's just start from the position that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's start from the position that there is nothing, not um, nothing in your past, nothing in the present, angels, demons, d- d- world, even death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let's start there. If that's true, and it is true, then a universe of possibilities opens up to you. You can stop asking the minimal question. What do I have to do? And we can move on to the better questions of, so now what can I do? When can I get started? 
How can I help? We can live freely. We can live generously. We can live hopefully. That hope that a Christian has should make a real difference in your life. And I don't mean just in the private corners of your heart. That hope should result in a boldness and a courage in living day after day. If you know how the story ends, then you don't have to be afraid of what happens in the middle. Peter, when he wrote the message that we read today, he wrote with the expectation that living in Christian hope results in a noticeably different life. And I don't think that that's a different, uh, the difference that you're just trying to squeeze yourself tightly into rigid obedience to commandments. Because that's the minimal way of thinking. I want to read to you again um, from verse 15. All right. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. As Peter's writing these words, he's saying, the effect that Jesus has on you is going to be so striking that people are going to look at you and go, why? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you turning in the minimums? Why do you have this hope? Look at the world. It's not hopeful. Why do you have hope? The idea here is that living the Christian life is going to cause people to question you. <coughs> and you know, in the context that he's speaking here, and not all that questioning is going to be nice. Some of it's going to be quite... Um, negative, right? It might be criticism. It might be mockery. He talks about people reviling you because of this hope, right? But here's, and this is really important, and I want you to pick up on this with me because um, it, it just makes such a difference in the way that we witness, right? He says, uh, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have, but do it in gentleness and respect with a clean conscience. Man, that is so powerful. When people can mock you and you can stand your ground without punching back. We don't shrink back from the conversation. We don't avoid the topic. But we speak, uh, how does it say in scripture? We speak the truth in love. And, you know, it may have an impact on the person you're speaking to. As we've been working our way through Acts, we've probably got one, one week left in our Acts Bible study. Um, we've been watching how, for instance, Paul is getting attacked and attacked and attacked, and he, he always speaks back, but with gentleness. And sometimes it has a strong effect on the people he's speaking to. But sometimes it's not them. It's the people who are watching it all happen. 
Man, you ever, you ever watch two people fight? And even if you don't know what they're fighting about, you're like, yeah, well, they seem reasonable and they seem unreasonable. Who are you going to side with? The reasonable one, of course. And that's what this hope is supposed to do to you. It's like, well, I don't have to win this fight because Christ won the fight. I don't have to convince them because I don't have the power to make them believe. I don't have to make them one of the good guys. I can just love them. If God stirs in their heart, great. If God doesn't, well, that's up to him. But at the end of the day, when somebody looks at me, I want them to see Christ. That's what it means to live for eternity. We're not grasping for short-term gains. We're not grasping for the wins. We're not trying to score points on people. We just want to live in that freedom with that zeal for what's good. And when the question comes up, just give the honest answer and then let the chips fall where they may. I know that in this room today, there's an incredible potential for the gospel in our community and the surrounding communities. It's not a duty that I'm trying to push on you, like, well, I guess I got to talk to people about Jesus because Pastor said so. No, we need to be living joyfully, hopefully, so when people notice, all you got to do is say the truth. I've been saved, and it's the best thing in the world. And I want to share that with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the free gift of salvation that you have given to us. And we pray, Lord, that you will move us to desire more, to desire greater things. And by that, what I mean is we pray that we would love what you love, that we would pursue what you want for us, that we would live kind, gracious, hopeful, generous lives, lives that are founded on a hope that is different from what the rest of the world experiences. Lord, we pray that in our lives, you would make a difference and that that difference would make a difference for the people around us. We thank you so much for the freedom we have in Christ. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen.